so as we uh, continue on uh, through Romans, our Old Testament reading this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 23. Turn to chapter 23 of Jeremiah's prophecy. And just keep in mind as we're reading this, um, this is nothing new. It's happening today. It happened then. It happens now within the church. We want to raise up leaders. They're going to tell us things that we want to hear, not what God has us to actually give, right? That's that's a it's a big trap, and it's all around us today. It was around in the time of Jeremiah. They wanted the prophets to come and prophesy what the people wanted to hear, the false prophets. It's in that context that we read these words from Jeremiah chapter uh, 23, beginning in verse 25. The Lord says this, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams and that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw have in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare declares the Lord. Behold, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them so they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. And now over to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And we're actually finishing up this section. So after Christmas, we'll come back and we'll pick up with verse 6 and move on from there. I know this is the third sermon in this particular section, but I hope you see how why I did that and how that holds together. So chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice and the hope of the glory of God, not only not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When I almost read chapter, verse 6 when they're reading there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we do come before your throne of grace and look to you and give you thanks and praise. And again, Lord, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us this morning to see the weightiness of your word and, and of this message, Lord God, to understand who we are in Jesus Christ, who we're called to be, and how we ought to live for you. So please, Lord, by your spirit, illuminate our hearts, give us understanding, give us wisdom. I pray that you would be with me to give me clarity of thought and of speech, to bring forth your message, Lord, your message, even as we sit at the feet of our teacher, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, praise God.
Just a quick recap. Uh, we are to exalt in the benefits of our salvation. Amen? We are justified in Jesus Christ. And so when he says exalt, that word means rejoice, be thankful, be grateful for what God has done for us. So we can rejoice in the peace that we have with God. We're no longer enemies. We're no longer at war with him. We're in Jesus Christ. You know what it means to have peace with God if you're a Christian this morning. That burden, that weight, the enmity is put away and we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that we have received, we understand this is all by grace and we stand in that grace. That's a foundation as we uh, look to the Lord, and then the glory to come. So to all of that, we say yes and amen. That's cool. We can get on board with that. But then he goes on to say, we also rejoice. The same word, same word, that word exalt uh, in the New American Standard, rejoice here, same meaning to it, that we are to be thankful for, that we're to rejoice in, that we're to be glad, we're to exalt in our tribulations, in our sufferings. That's a little different, isn't it? That's a little, that's a little, that's, that's tough. We're taught to exalt, to be glory, to be thankful for the tribulations and sufferings that come upon us, especially as a direct, this is, it can be used generally for all the sufferings, the difficulties that we face, the trials, the illness. But in this context and the way it's being used here, it's more that idea of suffering that comes upon us as a direct result of our faith in Jesus Christ. That we're to exalt in that when we get a lot of pushback from people who do not believe. See, that pushback, we can, ex- we should accept it because that pushback is a sign of our true faith in Christ and assurance of that faith. So, so this whole section in regards to our justification, it gives us that assurance of faith because we're justified by Him, we're living for Him and through Him. So we're brought, um, Last week, we brought this idea of suffering for Christ into the present context. And there are many indications right now, today, that um, the way we're used to living as Christians in our context might be coming to an end. I'm, I'm not trying to, I don't know if I'm sounding the alarm bells or not. I don't know exactly if, if that's the right way to, to use that, to say that. But there are definitely indications that things may very well change in a drastic manner for us as Christians if we remain faithful to the Word of God. If they don't change, if if revival comes and things turn around, amen, praise God, yes, but don't be surprised if they do change for us. We talked about that last week especially. How you view and deal with the trials and tribulations says a lot about the nature and authenticity of your faith. So, as, as the trials are coming upon us from the outside, the pressure from the outside to conform to the ways of the world come upon us, it says a lot about our authenticity, our real relationship to Jesus. Are you really trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? See, persecution and difficulties and trials and tribulations, when you have to stand up for Christ, when you have a lot on the line, it says a lot about your faith in Him, doesn't it? It, it just does. If we're truly trusting Him, we're going to give everything up for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that, Right? If there's no pushback in your life, and since Jesus said, if you trust in him, you will have pushback if you're faithful. You will experience difficulties. If you don't have much pushback in your life because of your faith, well, then you have to examine your faith itself. Jesus himself said this, John 15, 18, right? If the world hates you, I'm sorry, if the world hates you, keep in mind, keep in mind that it hated me first, right? The goal for us Christians, contrary to popular opinion today, 
even within evangelicalism, the goal for Christians is not to be loved by the world. That's all. We just want to be loved by everybody. Every, we, just, we want people to see us as these nice, sweet people that just accept and love everybody. Just kind of go along with everything. Listen, that's not, that's not the goal of the Christian life, man. The goal of the Christian life is to be faithful to Lord Jesus Christ and obedient to his word. That's your goal as a Christian. To live in a manner worthy of your calling in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot of people today that are playing around with Christianity. They're playing that game. This is no game. I say this all the time. This is not a game. We don't play church. You don't just come here. We do our little church thing, and then we go off and do everything. This is our life in Jesus Christ. And the stakes are eternal. It's high stakes, man. That's why you need to be involved. That's why we need to be engaged. That's why you need to be faithful. Because there are a lot of people that are playing the game of Christianity. You're playing. That's all you're doing. Understand? If you're not for him, then you are against him. There's no middle ground. You can't have it both ways. You can't have the world and Christ. You can't have a lot of Christ and a little bit of the world or a little bit of Christ and a lot of the world. You're either all Christ, either all in, or you're all out. If you deny him, he'll deny you before his father. You deny him before man. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. On that last day, there's going to be a lot of people that say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do these good works in your name? He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. See, it's not. This is serious. If you experience a little pushback in your life, then it's indication that you're playing with Christianity. Some people are just carrying on. Listen, man, there are some people, because now it gets, it's always serious, but especially in times where tribulation seems to be on the horizon. I mean, tough stuff, stuff that we're not even used to thinking about, right? Perhaps. We know other Christians throughout history have experienced it. But if you're just playing around, then you might just be carrying on a tradition. Why are you here? Well, because... We've just always gone to church, right? You know, it's, I feel guilt. I've been guilted by my mother to go to church. You know, she said, if you don't go to church, you know, you're surely going to go, you go to hell and all this stuff. So you better be in church. So I go to church because I feel guilty if I don't go to church. Right? Some people just do that. Some people do it out of obligation. Well, we've always gone to church. It's just part of built into our culture, built into our life. So I could check that box that I was in church on Sunday. And then I just go on from there. We, some people do for comfort. You know, they come to church and they, they like the, the crowd, the gathering, and they like the aesthetics and the music and all that. And it's kind of just a comforting thing for them. I remember being raised in Catholic in that way. Sometimes there's just kind of that comfort in a strange sort of way. If you grew up Roman Catholic, you know what I'm talking about with all the, the bells and the smells and everything there. It's almost kind of comforting in that way, in a strange sort of way. Well, some people go to church for that, to get that kind of feeling in that way. But you don't really believe most of anything at all. So, so there's that. There's, there's also those who compartmentalize, right? You, to compartmentalize means to keep separate. You keep things separate. So, so part of your life, you give a piece of your life to, to Christ. So Sunday morning and maybe Wednesday nights, you give to God, but the rest of the time, he barely crosses your mind. If that's you, man, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble because that's not biblical. So, so, so you do the, you do the Sunday and maybe Wednesday nights or Thursday nights now or whenever people meet for that, but the rest of the time, he barely crosses your mind. He plays little or no part in your decisions, in your day-to-day decisions, how you think about things, in your attitudes, and in your actions. 
Your worldview is not shaped by his word and obedience to use optional. Well, I could do this or not. And God will understand if I don't do things exactly the way he demands or wants me to. See that? You're playing if you're doing that. And you're not, you're not going to stand up when the push, pushback comes into your faith. You're going to, you're going to fall because this is, this is not authentic. If you find yourself in agreement with things that are actually contrary and not consistent with the, with God's word. And that's happening so much today among so many evangelicals. They're just acting like people in the world. They're taking all the cultural cues, you know, all, all the, the, the cultural trends, the, the, the attitudes that are out there in the world, and they're kind of going along with that and, and leaving the Bible behind. How could you do that if you say you're truly in Jesus Christ? And finally, it's just a twisted idea that Christianity means full acceptance, full affirmation, full inclusion, just being loved, just loving everybody no matter what, all the time, no questions asked, unconditional love in that way. That is not Christianity. Tony read this morning a a quote from Amy Grant. Remember her? You guys, if you're a little bit older, the singer. What was that quote, Tony? Do you remember? I have to pull it up. So there it is. Hosting her nieces, same-sex wedding. And why? Because God wants us to love him, wants us to love each other, all acceptance, all the way. See, that that's... When you're accepting and affirming the things which the Bible designates as sin and contrary to his word and to his nature... You're trying to play both sides. You're trying to have it both ways. So it's very inconsistent and wrong to say, well, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus Christ. But then go around with your rainbow pin or whatever on and, and full affirmation. That, that's inconsistent. It can't, you're not going to stand when the pushback comes. Believe me. There'll be no need for people like this that I just mentioned to exalt in, how are you going to exalt in tribulation if no tribulation comes upon you. And if you have that kind of attitude and that mentality, there's no need to exalt in tribulation because in this regard, you won't face any pushback at all. You're just going to, you know, not, there's not going to be pushback. You're not going to have to sacrifice anything. You're not going to have to give anything up. It's just kind of going along with the flow anyway. But I'm a Christian and I love you. So this is the whole idea behind the, the progressive Christian, the liberal Christian churches. The world loves those kinds of Christians, Christians in quotes, and churches in quotes. Why? Because it's not a threat. It's not a threat. You know? And I'm not saying, I'm not standing up here saying, oh, we're holier than thou. We fail in so many ways. We should be so much stronger as a church. So I'm not exalting us in, in that way. But I'm just saying there's, there's those who have basically have a shell of the word of God, but have abandoned, abandoned the, the, the substance of it. And that's where we find ourselves today. We find ourselves right there. We find ourselves in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, 1 through 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. We're here and, and, a big way. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Hello? Here we are today. Jude, Jude 4, 12 and 13. For certain people have crept in unnoticed long ago who were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people 
who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. See how transcendent the word of God is? This was true at times then. From the time that Jesus ascended to the time that he comes back, there's going to be periods like this, more or less. Right? And we always have to be aware and on the lookout for these kinds of things. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. No fear of God. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And then Matthew 24. Jesus says, as he's looking to his uh, his return, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. See, when most Christians say, I just want the world to love me and this is how we're going to win our converts by showing them that we love them and accept them and affirm them and embrace them, whatever they may be, that's that just like totally contradictory contradicts what Jesus actually says here. Right? We're telling the truth. And that's true love is when you love somebody, you're going to tell them the truth completely. But because of that, they're going to hate you because they don't want to hear it. For my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. That's exactly what's happening in the church today. Our biggest concern, one of our biggest, um, I don't say enemies, but maybe enemies is the right word to use, right? <laughs> our biggest things we're dealing with within the, is from within the church itself. You have progressive Christians, liberal Christians saying, you guys are the mean and, and harsh ones. We're the loving ones. This is what Christianity looks like. It looks like acceptance. It looks like the love of Christ. It looks like me hosting my niece's same-sex wedding because that's what we do as Christians and we show that love. That's, that goes against exactly what Jesus is saying. They'll betray one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, check this out. The love of many will grow cold. That's exactly, you know what happens when your love grows cold for somebody or something? You know, remember when you first thought you were in love and you were with that person, you couldn't get enough of that person being together, loving each other, and then something happens and that love grows cold. You want nothing to do with them. When that heart turns cold, it's just like, oh, I, those funny things, they're stupid now. I don't even want to be around you. Those, those kinds of things, right? Your love grows cold. And that's what's happening even in the church. There are mass defections right now within evangelicalism. A lot of people that we know, a lot of Christian leaders, pastors, uh, popular Christian artists, singers, all those things that we've listened to and loved in the past years, they are leaving. They're deconstructing their faith. There's, there, that's deconstruction and Defection, that's another message. But this is the progressive sort of Christianity. You know, I'm going to re-examine my faith. Faith, this is what faith is really like, not necessarily what the Bible says, or here's what Jesus was really saying, and they'll twist it to fit their own eisegesis. What they believe, they'll say, oh, that's what that means. Jesus loves, uh, all. he was a refugee, so we love all the refugees, and that's why we need open borders, whatever. They'll twist the word in those ways to suit themselves and their own teachings. So they're progressive. Some mask as evangelicals that are really tricky. Others are more open about it. And I, I don't name names lightly, but I will name names. And you could check me on all these, and I'll give you information to check this out. But there are people like Russell Moore, Beth Moore, Tim Keller. Yeah, Tim Keller. Uh, Phil Vischer, the VeggieTales guy. David French, who's supposed to be the Christian in the media guy. These are progressive Christians. And, 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 and it's, it's dangerous. 
and you could come to me if you have questions about that. More open progressives, uh, Richard Rohr. I don't know if that name rings a bell with any of you. Rob Bell, he was big. Uh, Brian McLaren, so on and so forth. That whole progressive group in that way. And then you have the mainline congregations. And this is building up to something. It's building up to our text when we're talking about the tribulations that we're going to have to face. Last week we talked about outside the church, and now this is from within the church. Okay. Then you have the mainline churches, Methodist, Anglican, Episcopal, Presby churches, not all of them, um, but most of them are very, very liberal. They just openly blaspheme. They're hostile towards God, hostile towards true believers, mocking God, and they're getting a little more and more popular. We thought the liberal churches would die off, and in a sense, in a way they have, where they're dead churches, that's for sure, but there's kind of a little bit of a resurgence with this progressive Christianity, and so you see the flags um, the rainbow flags and all are welcome here. And, and the things that are going on in the church today is absolute blasphemy. This is the high places of the Old Testament where they would go and just blaspheme God, right? And partake in this sinful, sinful, right in the like house of God where God is to be worshipped in that way. So I think we have a, a YouTube video. I don't always like to do this, but sometimes it just very, it shows you um like we had one last week, we have one this week. Of And parents, you want to be careful maybe a little bit with your kids, but the transvestite in the church is teaching. This is real happening now at our time. Tony, can you get those lights? It's not a joke. Peter, Holy One, and Diva of the World. May your word shine upon us like glitter under the stage lights. May it pop like a death drop in a crowded, dingy basement. We confess that we have demanded too much from the earth. We confess to, to the sins of racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, fatphobia, American imperialism, and Christian supremacy. We confess that sometimes we forget that all life is connected. We want to make sure that everyone knows that all are welcome here. We'll just stop it right there for now. But but you see, this is this is an example. I know we're shaking our heads, but this is what's happening. And you think, oh, this is a few on the outskirts, on the you know, no, 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 no. You need to understand there there are thousands of churches like this in our land today. You understand? So it's come from the church. I I have a, a list of affirming churches so in the Pittsburgh area. There are thousands, not just here, but around the country. Just let me read some of these. So if you want to find an affirming, accepting, inclusive church in Pittsburgh, you can go to Bower Hill Community Church, Calvary Episcopal Church, Calvary United Methodist Church, Christ Episcopal Church, Christ Hope Ecumenical and New Catholic Church, Community House Presbyterian Church, Community of Reconciliation, Dignity Pittsburgh, Dormont United Methodist, East Liberty Presbyterian Church, Episcopal Church of the Redeemer, First United Methodist Church, Hot Metal Bridge Faith Community, Judah Fellowship Christian Church, McKnight United Methodist Church, Metropolitan Community 
United Church, Pine Creek Presbyterian Church, Pittsburgh Friends Meeting, Pittsburgh Mennonite Church, Prince of Peace Lutheran Church, Second United Presbyterian Church, Shadyside Presbyterian Church, Smithfield United Church of Christ, South Avenue United Methodist Church, and Wilkinsburg Spencer United Methodist Church, St. Andrew's Lutheran Church, St. Andrew's Episcopal Church, St. John's Church of the Highlands, St. Paul's Episcopal Church, Sunset Hills Presbyterian Church, Swissville United Methodist, the Presbyterian Church of Mount Washington, Third Presbyterian Church, Waverly Presbyterian Second Presbyterian. That's just in Pittsburgh, not Greater Pittsburgh. That's just in Pittsburgh. So you, you understand? You see, they're not. There's not going to be pushback for these people. It's, it's the world says yes to these churches. See, I can get on board with that. Of course you can. Of course you can get on board with that kind of church because they're affirming. They're right, saying what you want to say. But you see, from the world and then from within the church, it comes to places like churches who actually believe what the Bible teaches and says, and you're the unloving one, and you're the critical one, and you're the mean-spirited one, and you're the unaccepting one, the hateful one, without understanding. What do you mean you don't believe that there's more, less than a hundred different genders? Are you kidding me? Of course there are. How could you believe in a binary in that way? You're just cosmic killjoys. You don't want people to be happy. You're backward, bigoted, science, medicine, and history deniers. That's what you are. Do you see how that sets up? So when they come to you to persecute you because you believe this, you can understand. It's building up. It's building up. And there's a real hostility. There's a palpable anger among so many towards those who believe in this way. Start putting it in your mind. I'm telling you, start putting it in your mind. If you believe in this, what we believe, and you live live consistently with its precepts and its teaching, you can expect pushback. Well, how do you respond? And that's kind of where we get to the text today. It says so much uh, about your faith. For true Christians, tribulations deepen our faith in Christ and give us further assurance because we're relying upon him. So Paul goes on to say this. He says, you rejoice in your suffering because that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character produces hope. That word endurance means perseverance. So he says that suffering that you face, when you're faithful to the Lord and you suffer for that and you you don't give in, you don't back down, you stand strong, that produces perseverance. And that's a good thing. You know, I mean, at times, man, the mere thought of having to do something or endure something just frightens you, right? There's things you don't want to think about doing. It intimidates you. You can't imagine having to go through this certain thing that you're thinking about. And initially, it is very hard and it is very difficult. And you do want to give up. But then as you persevere, something happens, right? Like a simple illustration is is workout, working out and training, right? Who, Okay, the new year's coming. Who wants to think about that? Who wants to think about getting up at five o'clock in the morning, going to the gym, lifting weights, getting on the treadmill, running, you know, doing everything you're supposed to do to get back into shape, not eating the things that you want to eat, having to endure that pain, all those things that you're not looking forward to that. You don't want to do that. It's painful. But as you do that, as you, as, as you go through that, something happens, doesn't it? You get fit. You're stronger, you're, you're more confident, you're feeling better, and, and, and has its, its rewards in that way. Well, when it comes to tribulations, 
it's it's hard to process for us when Paul talks about this. Like this doesn't it doesn't ring true. It's not part of our ethos. It's not it's not we have no real context for suffering tribulation. Most of us don't, that's for sure. I mean, we all have trials and tribulations in our marriages and our in our lives and dealing with certain things. But this is talking about really suffering for your faith and enduring in that way. Basically, for us, it's been all theory up to this point, hasn't it? We've read about it in Scripture. You know, we teach about it. We see it in church history. We hear about it even today. Our brothers and sisters in different places are actually really suffering physically and losing everything for the sake of Jesus Christ. We say, I don't want that to happen to us. I just don't want to be able to do all my things that I do. I want to love Jesus. But but you see, that, that this is what we need to get ready for. Because this is tribulations that actually produce endurance and perseverance and when that happens when we endure in that way and here's the payoff we see their purpose why we're suffering in this way why this why this hurts so much why this is so difficult why things happen to us and then we have a deeper level of appreciation for what we have in jesus christ because we see how much the world hates christ because of what they're doing to us and how true this really is because if they can get rid of you and stop you, well, then that clears their own conscience. But you see, as we endure, we grow in Him. We have a level of appreciation for Christ and the nature of the battle that we're in. That tribulation brings forth the battle. This is for real. That's why I say this isn't a game that we're playing. And it might cost us and cost us dearly in many ways. But what that tribulation does, and this is where that perseverance comes in, it draws us closer to the Lord. If you're truly in Him, we're going to get closer to Jesus Christ. It drives us to Him. For refuge, for strength, for comfort, for understanding. Lord, why is this happening? We run to Him. And a result of that, as we're in the Lord, and here's the real payoff as we persevere in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that through the, through the tribulations, is that the things of this world mean less and less to us. More than they do now. So we're less dependent on the things upon this world and more dependent on Jesus Christ. And, and, and you feel the weightiness of that. And our faith really means something to us. And we don't have time to play those silly little games that we play. We don't have time for the superficialities in life. We don't have time to, to play our, 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 our games and, and all these things because we're in the Lord and we're looking to Him and we're trusting in Him. And that perseverance means that, you know what, they could take away, get ready, because they'll take away your reputation. They will try to take away. They will slander you for sure. And they'll say things about you that are not true and that are lies. And they'll take away our reputation. But know what? They cannot take away what we mean to Jesus Christ. And that's that perseverance. Understand? They can't. He knows who we are. And we have his name on our foreheads. And His our name is written in his hand. So even though the world says that about us, we know what he thinks about us. Amen? That's part of that perseverance. That's part of the, the payoff, right? We have that confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. They can, they can take away our creature comforts. But they'll never take away the, the comfort that he provides. Go ahead. Take everything. They want to take Take it! But you cannot take the comfort that he gives us in our soul. That's that perseverance in faith. So, okay, what else are you going to do? Take away our possessions. They could do that. They could come and take our houses. They could take our, our means of living. They could take all that away from us, but they can't touch the wealth that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's it. See, when you have this, there's nothing that they can do to you. That's what he's saying here. And that, that's why we exalt in that, because we're exalting in Christ, as he sustains us. 
They can inflict pain on us, but they can't take away the joy of what he has in store for us. Amen? They may kill the body, but they cannot touch the soul. Tribulation brings about perseverance. That's what he's talking about here. Don't you, don't you want that? Don't you want to be able to say, look, if they take everything from me, I'm still going to love Jesus Christ. If, if, if they, whatever they can do to me, it's not going to, not, not going to make me deny my Savior because I love him and he loves me. And that brings that strength to you. Just like when it's a pain to think about working out, but once you work out, you have that strength. It's the same thing here in the spiritual way. Understand? And then he goes on to say, suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces character and, and, um, the New American Standard has proven character. So we, that means integrity, commitment, sincerity. Proven means tested character. That, again, adds to our assurance in Jesus Christ as we go through these things. Nothing's going to separate us from his love. So we admire people of good character, don't we? Oh, that guy has character. He has integrity. He has principle. But proven character glorifies Christ and not us. Even the, the nicest unbeliever who has good character, that's a nice thing, but it kind of always goes back to him. Our proven character is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's because of him. In other words, we fear God more than we fear man. That's a big deal. That's where that character comes through, along with the endurance and that proven character that I'm not going to change. I'm, I'm trusting in Christ. So Philippians 1, 27 and 28 says this. Paul says, Let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's what we need to be doing. And not, listen, man, write the, and not frightened by anything by your opponents. Not frightened by anything by your, in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. There's that assurance. And that is from God. Understand this, Christian. If they break you, through fear and intimidation, threats, restrictions, legislation, actual physical persecution, then they win. Right? Because to them, because to those who hate Christ and therefore hate you, to them, if you compromise, if you give in, if you say, well, not really, well, I can do this, I can do that, to them, it shows that really deep down and truly you don't really believe this. And see, that's what they need. So, so even like on a psychological level, it kind of gets them off the hook, doesn't it? Why should I fear God? Why should I respect God? Why should I trust God if you don't? And you say that you do. But if I could break you and say, ah, to get you to deny him, to get you to go the other way, if I could do that, that gives me like a false sense of security that I don't need to trust in this God because you don't even really trust in this God, so why should I? So we don't do our enemies any favor because they need Christ and they need us to stay strong and they need us to endure in that way for the gospel. Maintaining your integrity and commitment to Christ mirrors Jesus Christ completely. Uh, That proven character, his proven character. And I was just thinking about this yesterday as I was going through the sermon. Man, it's Christ's character that we're reflecting when we stand firm on the word, just like Jesus did. And I just thought about not his entire ministry, but even from Gethsemane to Golgotha. Just think about what Jesus went through in terms of facing this persecution to get him to buckle, to get him to, to back off, to get him to say no, everything. And, it, and it's there's parallels to what happens to Christians throughout history as they're being persecuted because they want to break you. They want to say, okay, you deny him, 
So there, I don't have to believe in him because you don't believe in him and it's I'm vindicated. I can go on living the way I want to live in that way. But think about Jesus' his own ministry, just even from Gethsemane to Golgotha, very quickly. What did he do? First of all, he prepared himself. He prayed. Right? He he was preparing, he was settled in his mind. Oh, Father, let this cup pass before me. But what did he say? Let thy will be done, not mine. That's the mindset. He's ready. Right? He's he's preparing his mind. So when they come out to get Jesus, to arrest him, what does he do? Does he hide behind the apostles? Is he hiding behind the tree? Does he go? No, he says, Go, my time is at hand. And he goes in front of his disciples and he says, I'm the one. I am he. So he doesn't hide. He doesn't try to make his way out and get away with anything like that. Remember how they came to him. And this is so interesting. They came to him in overwhelming numbers. And that's an intimidation tactic. Just to come with that overwhelming force and and come down on you. What did Jesus say? You're coming to me with clubs and swords? Right? I was at the temple every day. You're coming out like I'm a robber or something. But that is an intimidation tactic to try to get you to change. Remember the uh, abortion person, the the pro-life guy? They had like all those FBI agents descend on his home with gunpoint. Here's this guy with his kid and family, and they're coming that overwhelming way. Why? Because they want to intimidate. They want you to break. They want you to be afraid. And that's the kind of things that happen. So they came out with all those people there, and Jesus said, okay, I want to break you in that way. He was wrongly accused, arrested on false charges. The timing, the procedures were all whacked out. You know, it was in the middle of the night, early morning hours. We don't, and you see that. We don't have time to do it by the book. We're just going to do it this way because it's so serious and we need to get you there now. He was brought before the formal tribunal, the religious people. They, they were there in all their garb and they were standing there very intimidating way. The whole council was there and there's Jesus sitting in the middle or wherever they had him sit. You know how intimidating that is because they want to frighten you because they want to get you to capitulate. They want to get you to compromise in that way. They're going to bring out all the big guns. How many of you, again, I go back to my growing up Roman Catholic days when you had to meet with the priest or a few of the priests, how scary that was. If you did something wrong and you're sitting like, you know, whoa, and it's just intimidating and that's a tactic that they use to try to break you. Go ahead. Tell me these are not real so I don't have to believe in him. The physical intimidation and how does, and it's not just early on, remember what they did to Jesus and they do this <clears throat> in a very disrespectful way and to show that they have power over you. So they'll come and they'll slap you. That's very insulting like, to be slapped. It, it can hurt, but it's not meant to really do that. It's meant to it's meant to humiliate you. What else did they do to him? They spat on him. You know how humiliating that is? They just want to break you down. They they um punched him. Oh, prophesy who who hit you. They mocked him. That's kind of showing I have power over you and what you have means nothing. You, you can't come back with anything really you have. So it's all trying to, to break you down. They brought him before the civil authorities. So it was church and state. And there's the physical, uh, civil authorities that can impose serious penalties on you. You know what I could do to you? I hold your life in my hand. Basically, as a pilot said, what did Jesus say to him? No. <laughs> you have nothing unless it's given to you from heaven, but, uh, but in that, in that sense, we see the, the 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 arm of the law coming against us in an unrighteous way. It was unjust, unwarranted. So it's a miscarriage of justice. And that's what's happening. You see the law is being used where people are being treated very lightly for serious crimes and those who do very little things or, or minor things, if they're not on the right side, they come down very hard on you. 
unjust, unwarranted physical punishment. Jesus was scourged in that way. Mocked again, show that power of you. Injustice and letting the, and I just said, letting the criminal go. We want Barabbas. You let the killer go, but you kill the innocent man. See, these are all intimidation factors. This is all part of persecution. This is all part of the tribulations. And you can see the connective tissue from these things to what's even happening today among Christians. And let the criminals go. Put the innocent ones in jail. Because you're haters. Because nobody, you deserve to be put in jail because of just the way you think. Facing the most agonizing, humiliating, painful, and shameful form of capital punishment, he never once defended himself. He never once defended his rights. He never once made idle threats. He never once compromised to avoid being punished. He carried his own cross and he was crucified. You need to carry your own cross when it comes to this. Be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't, he didn't mouth threats. He didn't go up to them and try to, try to battle them or intimidate them like he was being intimidated. He obeyed his father. In his last moments on the cross, unlike the, the one thief, just vile statements being made, what did Jesus say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's proven character. That's our care. That's what we need to be like. And by the way, just as a side note, many of the religious leaders were there at the crucifixion. And when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, many of them did come to faith. We know this from Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great, that number, great, many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So Jesus on the cross, never lost sight of why he came. And we cannot forget why we are here. And the more like Christ we are, the more Christ-like, the more obedient to Christ, the more faithful to his word, without being arrogant, without being rude, without being ungracious, without being haughty, just being faithful to his word with great love, like I said last week, for those who hate us, the more we can expect to be treated disrespectfully, the more we can expect to have these kinds of tribulations. Again, it's kind of, it's, it's not even in our vocabulary or our way of thinking. We wouldn't know, I guess, what to do or how to face it if they came and said, you know, pastor, we're going to take you to jail because you're preaching on this. Or, you know, we're going to, we're going to take your income and we're going to take your, your home and you're going to lose your job and you're going to go to prison. I mean, that, that just seems like, are you crazy? What? But there's a sense that we're just a little bit away from a lot of trouble like that. Again, maybe not. Praise God if, if, that, if things change. Amen. But we need to be ready. And we need to be resolved. And that's how we exalt. That's how you exalt in tribulation. Nobody really wants it. But when it's here for the right cause and for, for Christ, we endure. We persevere. We're comforted. And then he goes on very quickly, hope. I'm not going to talk too much about hope because we've talked about this before. But the hope is just a recurring idea here in this section. And it's the idea that what we do, and you need to know this, what you do for the Lord Jesus Christ is you stand strong no matter what you lose. It's not in vain. It's not for nothing. When we endure tribulation, we show that we belong to Christ and he belongs to us. We show others that this isn't a game and that they need Jesus Christ this much because I'm willing to suffer the penalty and the price 
for his righteousness sake, not just for Christ's righteousness sake, but because you need Christ's righteousness. So I'm willing to endure this injustice and pain and tribulation, not just because I love Jesus, but because I love you too. And you need Jesus Christ just like I need Jesus Christ. See? It shows that. And it shows also as we endure the pain in this life and the tribulations that he's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It can't compare to anything that we've had here as we remain faithful to him. Don't give in. Don't, don't, be, don't be compromising. Don't say, well, okay, I guess I could see that. If it's contrary to the word, no. No, we stand firm in love. But always stand firm on the word. Come what may. So we go boldly, chosen by the Father, justified by the Son, indwelt by the Spirit. I didn't have time to get to that today. <clears throat> indwelt by the Spirit. And in His strength, by His power, clothed in humility, we exalt in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in every single situation and at all times. Amen? Praise God.